Coming up, what an excellent day for Mary. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 22 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. All right, so our minute begins with Mary Karras saying this is her house and she's not going no place. And it ends with Damien closing the door to his mother's apartment. Mm. But let's go back to the top. Uh, Like I said in the previous minute, it feels like this is an argument they've had many and many a time. And I love the blocking here. Take a look at how Karis is positioned. He's kneeling, kneeling to his mother, Mary, with his hands clasped as if in a desperate plea or perhaps a prayer. Right. God, help me with this, please. I am your priest. I'm doing your will. Please help me help my mother. After a moment, he gets up, passing his hands over his face as if to wipe away some weariness. He coughs and then wonderfully dates this movie in a way we can't ignore. We can't pass this up uh, and not talk about it. He takes out a cigarette and begins to smoke in front of his sick mother. Demi, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, before we talk about the smoking, I did want to point out like how long of a take we we hold on uh, Mary here. Okay. Right. This is a non-professional actor, like we were saying before. Um, and it reminds me of the long take we have of Reagan earlier. She's talking about the horse that she saw, and um, and, and or the uh, yeah the man that she met, and mm-hmm. and we hold on, and, and it is a little bit like the movie or Friedkin trying to, um, you know, look at this performance from this person you've never seen them before, right? And um, and it makes it feel like we're looking at a real person because uh, you can think that when you have like a a dog movie or something, you know, <laughs> where the actor is a dog. I just showed this movie in my class uh, called The Bear, okay. which is the earliest movie I can ever remember seeing in theaters. And it's the the lead actors are bears, like live action bears. And, you know, you do tricks because they're not acting. So you cut away to other things, you know. Right. right. So instead of with um, with Reagan cutting away to uh, to Ellen Burstyn, who's a professional actor, we hold on Reagan. We're like, no, look, this is a real performance. It's a real person. And then here we've held on this mother for um, almost a full minute. Where, where you might think, oh, we'll cut away to Jason Miller and have him do the heavy lifting in the scene. Right, right. Instead, we're confronting this real person who, as far as we can tell, it just, you know, isn't acting. Mm-hmm. But still kind of giving us a performance, right? right. Mm-hmm. Because, and and like we said in uh, minutes previous, folks, um, there is uh, something to be said about reacting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they teach you that in uh, in acting schools. Uh, a lot of a lot of beginning actors will kind of you can see it in their face, you can see it in um, their uh, their stance, uh, you know how they're like kind of tense and they're they're looking at the other actor and they're mm-hmm. waiting for their turn to speak, right? They're not right. hearing anything. All of the all of the 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 lines from the other character are kind of sort of like washing over them, and they're just like yeah 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 yeah. But when do I get right. to say mm-hmm. you know to be or not to be or whatever like that? You know, um, right? That, that that comes a lot from how say amateur uh, children's theater would work, right? It, uh, it doesn't you know the the audience isn't looking at the kids unless they're speaking. So right? It's, like, oh, it's my kid's turn, right? Yeah. And in the classical days, you would hear stories as they're kind of inventing what movie star acting is in the 1930s um, of people like Jimmy Cagney near John Wayne saying, I don't need this line. Give it to the other guy because my job is to react. Right, right. Give it to the day players. Let, let them have to deal with this trash line. <laughs> I don't want to speak. <laughs> so, yeah, there is there is definitely something to uh, be said about this performance here. Um, just her 
reacting to her son kneeling down in front of her and trying to trying to convince her yet again to move out of her house of uh, out of her home. I like you bringing up the blocking, right? We have this this sort of he's he's lower than her, which is always, you know, important in the frame, I would say. He's lower than her, he's revering her, he's he, even as he's worried about her or beset by her. And then when he crosses over, we get a very different sort of feeling when he lights a cigarette and and she's very low in the frame, a very small and, oh, yes. and he's sort of judging her, it feels, or at least the shot is um, is diminishing her. It's almost uh, um, like night and day, these two. Right. These two images. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> back to smoking. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about this. I want to talk about um, smoking in films. Uh, I want to talk about smoking in uh, the 70s. It's just amazing to think back on how normal it was back then. And it made me wonder how... Uh, aware we were uh, about the health risks associated with smoking back then. Um, because let's be clear here, Dimi loves his mother. These shots are not meant to show us that he's um, inconsiderate. This is a case of uh, the film being dated, I think. Uh, it was made at a time when Damien probably wouldn't even think of this as a health issue. For all we know, mom might be smoking as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and and not too long ago, doctors were pushing cigarettes as healthy, right? <laughs> go go on YouTube and you can see old cartoon characters uh, pushing cigarettes. There's a disturbingly long commercial or maybe like a collection of commercials where it's just the Flintstones lighting up and talking about how Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Well, hold um, on a second. Shouldn't it be Winston tastes good like a cigarette should? <laughs> that was my friend. I don't know. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Barney, there we go. Winston's yeah. tastes good like a cigarette should. There we go. You're right there, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that the Winston's was was the um was the sponsor for the Flintstones. So back then in the early sixties when the Flintstones launched, that was um they, they had one sponsor. So it wasn't the the later type of TV model that where we have where we were have multiple commercials and the the show didn't necessarily know what the ads were going to be. Mm. Um, back then, the people who paid for the show were the sponsor. Uh, that's why they're called that sponsor. Right, right. And, and there was only one. So I Love Lucy had cigarettes for their first couple of seasons. Um, that Those have been stripped away from like the DVD releases. And I'm sure it is on the Flintstones as well, because now we kind of think of it as a kid's show. Oh, right. Of course. Right. But yeah, it's really... Um, Really kind of shocking, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they, uh, yeah, even I, so I love Lucy, um, their interstitials, uh, for their commercials were animated as well. So it was a, it was an animated Lucy and Desi, uh, singing about uh, cigarettes. I don't know if it was Winston. I can't remember. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And, uh, okay. Uh, slightly, slightly off topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I might, I might, uh, take this out, but we were talking about like, you know, the voices of Fred and Barney. Um, <laughs> so, you, you know, uh, uh, Mel Blanc doing, uh, doing the voice of Barney, right? Uh -huh. Um, there is a there is a a, a very uh, strong delineation uh, between like Barney's early voice and his later voice. Mm. Um, you notice in like the the beginning of the the show and early on in the show, it's like oh hey Freddie, you know he sounds like that. And later on, he sat a, sounds sort of like Bugs Bunny. Oh he's, yeah, I guess he's, so. Right, he's he got does. this higher he's got this higher <laughs> more nasally voice and. Like for a while, people was like, "Is that a different person? Is that not Mel Blanc?" No, it's Mel Blanc. What happened was, um, he had a stroke. Oh no! And then he just like he went back into the recording booth, and he it was it was time to time to do Barney, and nobody dared to tell him <laughs> that that wasn't Barney's voice. 
They were just oh, like, God. you just let you just let Mr. Blank work. Right. That's Barney's voice now. Right? <laughs> this and is he, Mel Blank, right? This is Bugs this, Bunny. <laughs> right. This is the great Mel Blank. Like if, if Barney sounds like that now, that's just that's just what that is. Oh wow, that's and crazy. he just all just because he kind of like forgot that <laughs> that he had picked out another voice for for his character. <laughs> and they didn't want to like play play it back for him. Like no, they no, they were just it. like no, no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's interesting how, how, yeah, those cigarette commercials, I've, mm. I've seen them in class. Like people have, have shown that in grad school, somebody dig them up, uh, for, for the Flintstones smoking these cigarettes. And, mm-hmm. um, it is so shocking because we associate cartoons with children. Of course, the Flintstones were prime time. They were not meant for children. They were meant for everybody. The new Warner Brothers cartoons, they have, um, when they're creating new ones in the 2020s, they no longer have guns for their characters, even though the characters are cowboys and hunters, because they are for children. So they were made again in the 50s when the cartoon characters were not made for children, and now and now they are. This is bringing to mind um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> right. where they're literally ninjas right (laughs) which also i mean let's get into like this whole ninja thing i mean they're the loudest freaking ninjas you know i'm just saying right like if you're if you're trying to do like stealthy stuff like these are some loud ninjas (laughs) they're party Um, animals they're party animals michelangelo specifically he's a party dude party dude i believe yeah Raphael is cool but rude um And, you know, they have these weapons and they're fighting with weapons, but they never like Leonardo, the one with the sword, but he never uses it to cut people like he'll cut like a chandelier or (laughs) some chains or a pipe that sprays like um, some misty uh, thing where and now they can get away. Turn a light switch to turn on a light switch or yeah, yeah, (laughs) to knock that knock that cigarette out of that uh, out of that villain's mouth because cigarettes are bad. Cigarettes are bad. Right. <laughs> um, Winston's tastes good like a cigarette should. Yeah, it, that was the zeitgeist, right? It was normal. Um, ashtrays were everywhere. Restaurants were, you know, filled with smoke. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, so much so that that yeah, like it had this romanticism attached to it, mm-hmm. right? Just a few years after this, Ripley and Dallas and the rest of the Nostromo crew are going to be lighting up in space, mm-hmm. right? There is so like that's how much we thought cigarettes were just going to be like around forever. We put them in science fiction. We put them in space. Just. It, Cigarettes in space. That's a really – I haven't thought about that. Yeah, we, we assume it's going to be in the future. In Star Wars, there's no cigarettes because that's the past. Ah. So an alien, yeah, they're going to be around. And that's just how normal it was. And not just normal. It was sexy. It mm-hmm. was cool, right? And I guess you could make an argument. It's like, oh, well, you know, Karis is the sexy cool priest, right? Yeah. You know, he boxes and he smokes. And it was just part of life and leisure. And, uh, you know, as much as like coffee and Coke, here's the real thing, travel refreshed. <laughs> yeah, there's a line in uh, Thank You for Smoking, the Jason Reitman movie, where um, where the cigarette uh, the cigarette executive is trying to convince the agent to get um, the, the movie agent to get cigarettes in their sci-fi movie. And and the question is, well, like, can there be cigarettes in a zero gravity environment? Can we have it? And Rob Lowe says, oh, well, you know, we'll just say, oh, thank God we invented the uh, whatever device that, that helps us, allows us to smoke uh, in space after sex. The zero gravity cigarette. Wow. The whatever device. Yeah. Because <laughs> we need we need that. We need our cigarettes up in space, right? Very glam. Yep. Um, now. I don't think we can let Damien off that easy. I think by the 1960s, um, evidence was emerging, linking smoking to lung cancer, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But was it enough so that people were really like taking it seriously? I'm trying to get into the headspace of maybe knowing that something is bad, 
but not knowing just how bad it is. Like I look at the things that we do now, like we still drink coffee. We still Mm -hmm. eat McDonald's. I mean, I'm loving it. Uh, (laughs) McDonald's, we, we actually wouldn't mind sponsorship from you. Just sure. Yeah, of course. You know, um, that's going to bite us in the button 20 years from now. And like, I can't believe they would say that (laughs) they would love a sponsorship from McDonald's or um, smart water or something. Yeah. How dare they (laughs) smart water that causes like extra eyes to grow on the back of your head. Yeah, but nowadays there's, um, you know, the whether they're smoking or not is depicted in your MPA rating, you know, how it says in the little box in the trailer on the poster, um, scenes of violence or um, adult situations. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tobacco use is one of them now. It used to just be drug use and now there's tobacco Mm -hmm. use. Now it's tobacco use. And um, I'm not sure what entity is requiring this, but in in the film at the end of credits, it'll say um, that the film was not uh, paid for depiction of tobacco. Like, you know, similar to no animals were harmed in the making of this. There's a disclaimer that says um, no one associated with the film was paid for depiction of tobacco products, something like that. Interesting. Yeah. So, huh. so things have, have quite changed. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they don't say that about, you know, heroin when there's a heroin movie. So there's there's some kind of third rail involved in smoking where yeah, Hollywood has become averse to it. I guess because, I mean, like smoking is like legal and available mm-hmm. and um, maybe a little bit more normalized even now, um, even when we understand that it's that it's not a good thing. Um, it's it's like you, I could I could go out right now and I could I could get a pack. If mm-hmm. I wanted. Yeah. And as smoking rates are down, of course, less people are doing it is less socially acceptable. But I had a friend, Emily, who came from Ireland to visit um, mm-hmm. our friend group here in Vegas. And mm-hmm. um, she had a pack of rolly cigarettes and the whole the whole pack was covered in black and, and these terrible warnings, <laughs> you know, oh like God. you will die, <laughs> your friends will die. But, you know, Emily still smokes. I mean, I don't know how effective that is. It seems to be just that the um, the social stigma and the, the taxes have been uh, lowering tobacco use. So, folks, I'm now listening to uh, the Lord of the Rings Minute, which is another wonderful Movies by Minute podcast. And I'm in fellowship right now. And they're talking about uh, Gandalf smoking. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, there is uh, film footage out there. I don't know if it's available to us, but um, there was a version of the script where Gandalf was trying to quit smoking. <laughs> and so he's just sort of like, he's, he's sort of like sucking on these toffees um, while, <laughs> while Bilbo is talking to him and they, they tried it and they actually had Ian McKellen and they had Ian Holm and, you know, doing their scenes and it was, it just became too much. Like, I guess the noise of the, the toffee sucking was like, this is, <laughs> this is untenable. We can't do this. But why can't Gandalf the gray just use magic to, Get, is it? Uh, I guess you know. Is is there a tobacco so addictive that even Gandalf the Grey can't quit it? See, and Gandalf the I mean, like, okay, I'm a super nerd here. I know that Gandalf the Grey isn't even human. <laughs> right? He's, a, he's, he's like like a weird like angel thing. Right? Um. Do do Istari get cancer? I don't know. <laughs> but why can't they just you know use the whatever spell <laughs> and get him to quit smoking? Yeah, Rob Lowe had the whatever machine. We can use the whatever <laughs> right. spell. <laughs> and they could add it into those. Well, thank goodness we have the whatever spell. <laughs> <laughs> and if it was Sean Connery, the original casting for Gandalf, he, he would say that's ridiculous. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'll smoke whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I love your Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um. But yeah. It, so smoking is definitely one of those um, stones in the river of film history, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we, 
listeners, pay attention to like everything that's around you right now. Like what is going to be another stone in that river of history that we're going to look back on? And it's like, oh yeah, people, people, you know, drank that or people ate that or people did that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, You you know, uh, we've now been around, we're we're both turning 40 soon enough, Lester. (laughs) We've been, we've been around long enough. I mean, when I was a kid, it was one of the funniest things in the world that a man would dress up in a dress and this is man in a dress trope. And Mm -hmm, if you look mm -hmm. at like the AFI top 100 comedies, the top two, some like it hot and Tootsie are about men, straight men dressing up in dresses. Um, You know, Mrs. Doubtfire is on the list of course. And then, um, and then there's a bunch of other movies where that's maybe not the whole point is that we put a man in a dress, but that there's, you know, a gag here or there, or um, you know, in a cartoon uh, Bugs Bunny dressing up as a woman or, or what have you. And it's taken until pretty recently for me to hear people in the trans community um, saying how harmful that trope is. And, and, you Mm. know, um, and if you look at SNL right now, um, which used to famously have uh, their, their male cast members dressing up and doing impressions of, uh, of, of women. Right. So the church lady, Dana oh, Carvey. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Big, yeah. Major characters like that. Um, mm-hmm. Kenan Thompson would play Whoopi Goldberg on the view. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the joke wasn't even like, Oh, look, at that point, it wasn't like, oh, look, here's here's a man in a dress playing Whoopi Goldberg. He would actually do an impression that was about her mannerisms. But now, right. um, but now that he's he doesn't play Whoopi Goldberg, there's a new woman named Punky who does that. And and now it's kind of verboten on SNL that they have to have a pretty good reason for a man to dress as a woman. Um, and now they kind of I, I'm not sure where I am on this, because when they do do it, it's it's usually like a gay man. Um Mm. Like Bowen Yang, who's an out gay man who who then will play um, Fran Lebowitz on SNL. Right. And like, that's okay, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. Um, so a lot of the impressions on SNL are um, are women like Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant playing men. Mm. So Kate McKinnon playing, um, you know, Lindsey Graham or, or, um, right. or A.D. Bryant playing um, uh, Ted Cruz, you know, and that's funny. But it's just been explained to me recently that I, I didn't quite... I haven't, I'm, I'm new to this idea, um, you know, admittedly, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, perhaps a little ashamed of it, but yeah, like when it's a man in a dress, the joke is like, wow, look at this, uh, this person who's in a privileged position. And now it's funny. They're in an unprivileged position. They have to live like, like a woman <laughs> for a brief amount of time. Whereas if it's a woman dressing like a man, it, it, it's more like, here's someone in a less privileged position, making fun of someone in a more privileged position. Interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't really, and I'm sure this, you know, if we have some listeners who this is the first time they're thinking about it, like my initial reaction was like, no, come on. Like, it's not that harmful. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is not that bad or, or what have you. Um, but I've been thinking a lot more about it. I'm not sure where I land on it, but I'm sure in, in five years, I'll, I'll just have made up my mind that, yeah, that's a harmful trope. And yeah, folks, we would love your your input as well. Um, remember, uh, the address is theexorcistminute at gmail.com. It's all one word, theexorcistminute. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I want to I hear what other people think about this uh, too. Uh, sort of to, to speak to what you uh, were just talking about, like on SNL and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, to go back to what you were saying, Keenan, um, like talking about like the church lady, you know, Dana Carvey doing the church lady or even on uh, Kids in the Hall mm-hmm. when uh, when those guys were uh, dressing in drag and they were they were playing female characters. I just automatically thought of them as female characters. Right. Like I think of the church lady as a lady. I think of uh, whenever the Kids in the Hall, when Bruce McCullough or um, Mark McKinney or, or Kevin McDonald, when they're playing 
female characters, I'm in my head, I'm going like, oh, oh, that's funny that she did that. Right. Or that's funny that she said that. Or when Scott Thompson plays the queen, and I just recently <laughs> watched, um, you know, because, uh, the, you know, the queen uh, had has passed recently. And, uh, there, you know, there's all this stuff on TikTok of Scott Thompson playing the queen again. And I always think of her as the queen. And I don't know if I don't know if that that compliments what you said or if it goes in the face of everything that you just said yeah i know what you mean i think that with with harmful tropes and stereotypes right it's less about the individual than than the the aggregate you know um so so yes you can look at like i i think the same thing with monty python when you're when you're talking about that right like like they're they're all silly characters none of the men are are you know positive portrayals (laughs) everyone's a negative portrayal but yeah you know i've read some think pieces and some scholarly articles talking about it and, and so the you know what that's what's um, what's helped me is more about the aggregate of this of um of what it means to the trans community or, or people who who um are gender non-conforming and like uh, what it does to our expectations like like the idea that the default is when we see a cis man in a dress it's funny um you know, but maybe, and you know, maybe that will change, right? As we have more cis men who are wearing dresses, and uh, right now, a, a big thing with um, with young men is pearls. I don't know if you've seen that. Like that, pearls isn't like an accessory right now. Oh, okay. Hmm. Like a string of pearls. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I think I think like having it having it come to the forefront more, having it uh, become kind of uh, uh, just as. Um, uh, visible and accessible sort of, yeah, takes away the, the, the need or the, the, even, even the like, Hey, here's an idea. Let's put somebody in a dress. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's, you know, like, like that, that happens all the time now. Right. It'd be like, here's a, here's a, uh, uh, an idea. Let's, let's have somebody eating an apple. It's like, well, people eat apples now. Like people (laughs) eat apples all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, uh, like, and again, this is this is the type of stuff that fascinates me about um, film history because you can – the way that they depict either past, present, or future and what they think was there versus what was actually there, what they think the future will be like. They think we'll have uh, cigarettes up there in the future or like if you look at the 80s, we think that everything is blown to smithereens and mm-hmm. everybody's riding around on um, you know motorcycles and leather jackets and everything like that. It's It's amazing to look at these movies and – not just look at what it's showing us on the screen, but like what it's telling us about the people who made it. Yeah. And and I think that's a great rule of thumb in general is that when you're looking at a movie and they're talking about the past, they're not really talking about that past moment. They're talking about the present um, and then vice versa. When they're talking about the future, they're not really talking about the future. They're talking about their, their issues or their zeitgeist of the present. So Greta Gerwig's little women is not really about uh, the post civil war era for women. It really is right. about 2019 for women. Right. Or the crucible is yes. actually about, right. The red scare. And right. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Gosh. Ah, I, I love these sort of talks. Um, but okay, so after this, we uh, jump ahead a little bit uh, in time here. We don't know how much time has passed between this cut. We get this feeling that it wasn't a lot, right? Demi hasn't stayed over for a couple of days. In fact, right. I wouldn't be surprised if this were the same day. It probably is the same day, like a few hours later. I imagine right? so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Demi, and I can't help but call him Demi <laughs> while we're in here in this house, right? Mm-hmm. 
He's all suited up again, dressed up, dressed up like a real priest. Um, <laughs> and, and that face is back, right? Did you notice that yeah. like impenetrable mask, right? That same one that he wore as he was walking up to his mother's apartment, right? right? Um, so he puts that back on just, uh, like he puts on, uh, his coat and he's moving through his mother's apartment the same way now, um, in the same way that he was walking up to it. And we see a little bit more of the apartment, right? So many photos, so many memories. Memories are all this woman has right now. Um, all, and, and we have Karis walking through them like a ghost, like our man in khakis from before, walking through um, the city like a ghost, right? Very much not looking at them. Right. And I also noticed in this shot, we have some candles under glass, right? That always makes me anxious. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, like, like, you know, it's like, I, it's like, I'm, I'm just like thinking of like, you know, candles on Christmas trees or candles in pumpkins or just like random candles. Like, and it's like, you're leaving the house. There's like, and the other person's asleep, like blow that out. You know? <laughs> That's the seventies for you. <laughs> they yeah, didn't no. know any better. <laughs> no, we'll just leave this fire unattended. Sure. <laughs> I do like that, that, um, you know, we had seen this shot of the bed and the do- right next to the door and we never really got a glimpse to the side of it, that there's actually a bathroom there. Right. So, so when we had seen it before, it looks it makes the room look a lot smaller, which is what was needed at the time, right? So right. I, I think a lot of beginning um, or student filmmakers that I deal with, right, they want to show the entirety of a location just by the default. But the the choice that Friedkin is making, right, is to make it look much smaller um, at, at all times, so we never quite see the entire space. So here we get more of the information of what's there, but we don't see, you know, you know, all all. 800 square feet of the place in once. Right, right. It's hard. It, it would be hard to like map out uh, this place if uh, right. like if you're seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, so uh, right by those candles, right? Um, it's right at the start of the shot, right? He's moving through the room and it's at the bottom left corner of the frame uh, just under this lamp. There's also a little shrine. We get another crucifix and a picture of Mary. Uh, not Mary, the mother, Mary, the mother. Wait, um, you know what I mean? Well, okay, actually, so th- this is a good point. Um, I want to bring this up here real quick before we go. So um, talking about Mary, right? Like it can't be an accident that we have Mary and Mary, right? Um, we venerate the Virgin Mary. We honor her as the mother of Jesus, right? And much like Jesus, I think we forget, and I'm talking about Catholics, I'm talking about Christians um, especially, but also like non-Christian or non, like non-secular folks, we tend to think of these characters as just that characters, um, whether you believe or not, you tend to see them as larger than life characters that can't be bothered with like human emotions, right? Jesus never got angry. He never despaired or doubted. And even if he did, it was always part of the story. It was very photogenic and Instagrammable, right? (laughs) You know, he was, he was flipping the tables at the temple, right? Or he was, you know, um, you know, let this cup be passed, uh, from me or whatever. Right. And it was very dramatic, right. With music and all that stuff. Right. He never walked through the marketplace. Like maybe Karis is walking through East 21st street, right. On the way to see his mother. Likewise, Mary was just the perfect mom. She never worried about anything. She was never stressed. She never scolded Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. They never fought like, mom, I want to go out with my friends and do miracles. Not until you finish your dinner. Right. Right? I don't like that Simon Peter guy. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's stay away from that guy. Right. Um, that never happens. Or if it does, we never hear about it because to put those kinds of like humdrum human qualities and those human interactions on these characters almost seems like a blasphemy. Uh, but we sort of forget that that's like the point, right? Like if you're religious, you're supposed to remember that, yeah, Jesus is the son of God, but he's also like human. And with these human doubts, and these human fears and these human emotions and like a very real 
uh, frail human body that can feel pain and that can die. And as a human, he is being asked to do something impossible, right? He's going through this story as a human. We forget that. And likewise, Mary is a very human woman, a mother who has to watch her son get crucified. Mm-hmm. And whether or not she knows that it's all part of like, oh, some bigger plan and, and you know, she's part of this bigger thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, great. Wow. Greater good. My son, my child is up on a cross. Right. And you read the Bible and you're like, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. She's Mary, right? She was immaculately <laughs> concepted. She was immaculately concepted. Yeah. Like, like, what does that even mean? She's a person. <laughs> she's a woman. She's a mom who watched her son die, right? Oh, oh, but she's Mary. And we sort of like miss the point mm-hmm. of the whole story is that we're supposed to identify with the kind of like the suffering and the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the sacrifice by Jesus, but also like by Mary. Right. Um, you know, and again, like I say, it can't be a coincidence that Karis's mom is also named Mary. Well, right? of, and that was you know, that was Blatty's mom as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's true. well, that that's the point, right? Is that there are so many Marys? There are so many Marys in uh, in the Bible that the the Bible has to you know mention which Mary and which Martha <laughs> that we're right. we're dealing with. But um, but yeah, it's such a popular name, um, and if, uh, it, it's so popular that eventually people forget who they're naming their kid after, right, is the Virgin Mary. Um, and it's so popular that, that people who walk around with the name Mary don't necessarily think of themselves as being named after the most famous woman uh, in, the, in the West. Um, and I think about um, popular girls' names especially. I don't know if you track that because um, most of the time boys' names, even when there's a new boy's name like Jackson or something that comes into the top 100 baby names, um, there's still a whole lot of Christophers and Michaels and Matthews and Jacobs like that. that There's still sort of the old names that their fathers might have had. But women's names in America are are very different. And they they do go through these trends. Um, For a while, Mary was just the name for decades and decades and decades. Um, And in the 1970s, we got a new name that might have been one of the first ones to dethrone um, Mary. I'm not sure. But the rise of Jennifer. Do you know where Jennifer comes from in the 70s? No, no. Where's where's it comes from a movie, (laughs) a movie called Love Story, where we have um, where we have Allie McGraw playing a Jenny. And then all of a sudden, uh, within a couple of years, Jenny and Jennifer becomes the number one baby girl name (laughs) Uh, because of love story. And it's not a name that was wholly invented, but all of a sudden we had a bunch of them. Um, wow. Yeah. So I wonder about that a lot. Like why, you know, why these trends come up? Why Ashley or um, I guess Heather in the 70s is a big one. Ashley, when we were growing up, now it's Madison, um, you know, why these things happen. And with Jennifer, we can definitely say where it comes from. And with Mary, we know where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, you might have like, I don't know, Reagan or Goneril or, you know. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, but like talking about this Mary mm-hmm. right here, right? Talking about uh, Karis's mother, right? We see we see her sacrifice. We see that we see where she has to live and how she has to live. Well, Karis goes off to to heal people and spread the word of God, right? Mm-hmm. But to compare Karis to Jesus here, even Karis wouldn't like that, right? He feels like a fraud, right? He's not Jesus. He's not even a good priest. He says later that he's unfit, right? And he for sure for sure blames his mother's living situation on himself. He's not a doctor. He's not a lawyer. He doesn't make enough money to support her. He can't even be near her because of his job, because of his priestly duties, right? He can't be near his own mother, but it's okay. It's his calling. He's not supposed to feel pain or maybe anger at God or doubt that he's even there. Those are selfish things. So he takes all of that and he puts it behind that mask that he's wearing now. And he moves through the um, the darkened apartment, sort of like how Marin was moving through those covered streets and alleyways. And he leaves some money on the table um, yeah, that's, as his mother is sleeping. That's really interesting to me because we read in the novel that, that um, 
he gives the money to the derelict on the subway tracks and right. then is like, oh, gosh, that was the money I needed for the cab. And I so here we don't have that. Perhaps, I don't know, um, maybe we're supposed to be reminded of that, that in, that he chooses instead of giving it to um, to random people like he's, you know, he's called to. He's called to help everybody equally, not protect his mother just because it's his mother. And so he decides to give his money uh, to the mother instead of the man on the subway. And once again, his mother is sleeping, mm-hmm. right? This is a subtle thing. He's he's sneaking the money to her, probably because she wouldn't accept it if she were awake. Right. Um, and yes, we end this scene with her being asleep again. Remember, we started with Karis coming in, taking off his coat and all his priestly garments and, you know, kind of becoming a child again and going into that room and finding her asleep in the chair. And now he's all covered up again and he's kissing his mother goodbye. And once again, she's asleep. It's one of the darkest, like just physically darkest scene shots in the movie. (laughs) Right. We're talking, we're talking literally folks, like literally it's hard to see anything in in this uh, When he passes through, um, you know, this beam of light that's in the center of the frame, essentially, essentially, I don't know. I'm looking at it now. Pause, which of course isn't how you watch it in the movie theater, but it's like 80% black, you know. Um, and this is this is a horror movie, The Exorcist, and one of the very darkest frames is is this one. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is like you know not even anything uh, scary is going on. Right oh, here. you know, unless you really think about it. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Like yeah. Emotionally devastating. Yeah. We spend so much I, time on these minutes. Um, yeah. Because I think it really affects the both of us. I wonder how how much yes. it does everybody else. But but these these yeah. minutes are pretty hard for for you and me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When I say nothing scary going on, I'm nothing nothing uh, like the the type of scary that I like. Right. Um, this is this is actually terrifying. This right. is existentially um, like very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> this is this is the 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 hardest part of the Exorcist. For right. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, but actually, okay. So I wasn't going to talk about that. That really really dark. Uh, um, uh, segment where he's walking through the apartment. Mm-hmm. Did you notice, Keenan? There's a cut. Like it, it actually cuts. It's so dark that you can't see. Oh, it's trick, but huh? Yeah, it's something. Something happens where, like, he's moving through. We get a really, really black screen, and then it sort of jumps. Oh, but yeah. It jumps I see it. what you mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't catch that uh, first, and I was like, it. That can't be anything. There's there's no like like intention behind that, right? That's just like, oh, it's you know, he's in shadow, so we can safely cut this. Oh, potentially, yes, potentially. If I had to guess, I would say yeah, that they're trying to cover something. Um, hmm. But it is also, yeah, it also sort of jars us slightly in a, in this right, preverbal level, right? That we're not even aware, of. right? And so it is a little jump. Yeah, it's right? a little jump. You're right. Yeah, um, and yeah, so our minute ends with Karis walking out and. Closing the door behind him. Um, yeah. Uh, Keenan, is there anything else we want to talk about in this minute? Or do we want to get out of here as quickly as possible? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> okay. So, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Okay, folks. Until next time. The power, the power of, of Winston compels, compels you. I meant Flintstones. I meant Flintstones. I meant Flintstones.